Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Are you? Are you? Today I am. (laughs) I'm Adam Pranica in the streets and something hateful that Twitter people are calling me in the sheets. Yeah. We do get some hateful tweets, don't we? Yeah, really do. I've been hitting the block button lately. Are you? Because I, I saw I hit the mute button, but if you, I recommended the, the mute button to you as a as a effective strategy, and I and then I thought about it a little more, and I was like, why do I want to give someone else access to me uh, yeah. who hates me? Let's talk about anything else, Ben. I could bring us an even more uncomfortable conversation if you if you're interested. Oh boy. Is it uncomfortable fun or uncomfortable awful? Well, it it could be an interesting peek behind the kimono for the viewers. Well, we really love doing that, don't we? Uh, So we had a little difference of opinion today. uh, And when this episode comes out, this will be an episode distant in the past. But, you know, we each edit a roughly equal number of episodes. And um, occasionally, I think... We both make choices that the other maybe wouldn't have made. It all boils down to us trying to do what's best for the show and making creative decisions that that reflect those sensibilities. And in moments where both of us cannot reach an agreement or we're not together or we're not talking, uh, it's incumbent on one of the hosts to make those decisions at the time. And so when this specific decision was made, I... I had felt possessive about its original creation because it was a decision that yeah. I made initially. Well, let's be let's be specific so yeah. we're not dancing around it. So, um, <laughs> I think this is a, an, actually an East Coast West Coast thing because <laughs> you be. have a you have a different ice cream truck music than I have, and I dropped in a different ice cream truck sound for Kevin Uxbridge, and then I like chopped and screwed it to make it sound the way it, uh, closer to the way the music box sounded in the Kevin Uxbridge episode. You applied the Uxbridge filter. Yes. I was like sitting there editing it like, oh my God, like I can't wait for Adam to hear this. I think this is so great. But then when you heard it, you had like a different reaction. Yeah. And that sucks because it clearly, I don't know whether that's the version that'll go out at this point. Like who knows, but talking about that version is like, it's, it's great. And it shows so much fucking time put into it but like the the pithy possessive creative sensitive heart of me felt (laughs) hurt that my initial creative decision was paved over uh in favor of something else and so i i totally i got defensive about it and i totally admit that so i think i here's here's something that i discovered on my commute home today uh, in kind of thinking about this after we talked about it over the flawless communication medium of text messaging. The thing you should use to talk to people you really care about, about things that are very serious, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> I I listened back to a previous Kevin Uxbridge bit, and I realized that... So I grew up in Oakland, California, and I had... West Coast ice cream truck music. I now live in Brooklyn, New York, and I have East Coast ice cream truck music. <laughs> and I don't think that I realized that I had changed the music itself. I th- I think that I think I googled Mr. Softy because that's like the the song that I think of when I think of ice cream truck now. But I also think of the song that you used, which I think is Turkey in the Straw. And I think that, um, like, somehow my brain made those the same thing when they really aren't the same <laughs> the same thing. So I was, like, initially, like, right. what the fuck is he talking about? I didn't change the song. I just added a filter. Like, like worst case scenario, we take the filter back off. You know, and because we were speaking in this perfect medium, <laughs> um, obviously, like, all of that was clear to you. <laughs> Right. 
Right. And by and by all uh, we both agree none. Can I propose a compromise? Of course. What if Are you we... trying to lawyer me right now? Well, I'm just saying <laughs> like e- easier for me to at the end of tonight not re-edit the episode much. Uh, but sure. what if we agree to use both tracks and I will remove the filters because I think that they make it too spooky. Okay. And by, yeah, I, I'm fine with that. Okay. By well, use both tracks, are you saying that uh, on episodes that you edit, you'll be using East Coast ice cream truck <laughs> music <laughs> and on my episodes, the episodes in my custody on my visitation days, uh, I will be playing West Coast ice cream truck music. I don't even think we need to be that prescriptive. I mean, this is not a paint-by-numbers podcast. Sure uh, isn't. So I would say, like, if we have if we have both of them in our shared uh, Dropbox folder, uh, you know, whatever whatever the spirit moves you to use at any given instance. How about that? Sounds great. Good talk, Adam. Let's make a podcast. <laughs> Let's do it. This is season three, episode 20, Tin Man. I'm glad you pronounced it that way, because everyone else puts the emphasis on the man in this episode. Have you noticed that? When Picard does a log, he's like, we're on our way to visit the Tin Man. Tin Man. (laughs) Isn't that what I said? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, like, everyone emphasizes the man part of Tin Man, which... Which just sounds, uh, it sounds weird. It sounds weird to the ear, Ben. It's sort of like Wilford Brimley talking about diabetes. Right. Uh, it's just like, how did you arrive at that decision? <laughs> like, you never heard anybody say that that way before. It is never Tin Man. It is always Tin Man. Tin Man. Tin Man. Tin Man. The ship is up to some routine biz when... They get run up on in these streets by the USS Hood. It's always the Hood, isn't it? Yeah. Every time you go to the Hood, you get run up on. (laughs) (laughs) Just before we started recording, I saw on the Wikipedia page that the USS Hood gets mentioned in the first episode of this show as being like Riker's previous posting. Oh. Uh, And so, so like, there's like a, a weird... Like, the, the captain's like, Hey, Will. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very long arc, you know? Like, we've only heard this ship mentioned, and then, like, one time we see it, and it's like, we're supposed to be super familiar with who the captain is and what his relationship is to the characters. You know, to this day, Will, no one can stay in your quarters. <laughs> it's been completely taped off. Hey, Will, we had to put into a starbase and have our holodecks fully removed and replaced. <laughs> we had them beamed out and destroyed. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a couple kilometers off the uh, starboard bow of the ship. You just see it. <laughs> <laughs> like they use way more photon torpedoes than are necessary. <laughs> Full spread. The works. So this is like not what ships usually do to each other, but uh, they're doing this because the Enterprise is being put on a an emergency detail, and they need the fastest ship in the fleet, and uh, the best and brightest, and Captain DeSoto of the Hood is eager to acknowledge that that's not his ship. It is the Enterprise, and... He's sort of small-dogging Picard. He's like, you, yeah. you got a great ship... I got a pile of garbage. <laughs> you got Commander Riker. I've got this stupid first officer who doesn't have nearly as much sex as him. <laughs> like, he's really disparaging with about his own ship and crew. You've got one of the best gimps in the fleet. <laughs> my, my gimp box has a very inferior gimp in it. <laughs> you are very attractive. I am gross and disgusting. <laughs> yeah, just just short of going, we're not worthy! Yeah, yeah. And then Picard goes, you know, it actually comes from the Algonquin word, Miliwake. <laughs> Riker is just licking this up, though. He loves getting compliments in front of other people. Yeah. He just sort of his... sits up in his chair and gives a little wiggle. Mm-hmm. 
But his mood changes from good to bad when uh, it is announced that they are going to be taking on a mission specialist by the name of Tam Elbrun. And uh, Riker's like, the, the Tam Elbrun from the thing, the something something? Which I guess is some catastrophe in the past that uh, that they, uh, you know, Riker seems... Riker seems to be the only person on the ship that cares about this catastrophe, by the way. Like, everybody else is like, yeah, yeah, Tam Elbrum, that one. I've found but, that when a historical moment is known as a catastrophe, it's pretty bad. It's a bad sign. Yeah, but Troy is personally familiar with this guy and Picard is like oh like you uh you guys used to you guys used to hang and she's like no I used to treat him for mental <laughs> that's that's the throw to that's title that's the diagnosis <laughs> yeah <laughs> I used to treat him for mind stuff <laughs> with my mind So they go to the transporter room to meet this guy, and onto the transporter pad beams low-rent Michael Rappaport, (laughs) (laughs) who is wearing, like, a Mikhail Baryshnikov male ballet costume. Yeah, it's like, it really has some serious original series Star Trek vibes. Yeah. And also just some, like, space pajama vibes. Man, Ben, this show can really, like, lean into a pleat, can't they? Yeah, there there are there are more pleats than are strictly speaking legal on this on this costume. Like a costume designer is having a conversation somewhere that goes like, "I can't put any more pleats in these pants. It's impossible." Yeah, and the and the costume department's like, "Do it, <laughs> double it." <laughs> You're not going home until there's ten times as many pleats on that shirt. <laughs> A thousand more pleats or you're fired. <laughs> the pleat sweat, what's it called? A sweat box? Sweat lodge? Yeah, uh, sweat shop. Sweat. Oh, boy. I would not be good at a game show. <laughs> ben, you also got me drunk on your previous, uh, on your other podcast. So. Oh, yeah, you're a guest on uh, on an episode of Let's Drink About It. I I have no way of calculating when that will have come out with regard relation to this, but I think I think it will beat this to to press. Okay. So if you go listen to a recent episode of Let's Drink About It, it's co uh, it's guested by uh, none other than Adam Pranica. It could be canonical greatest gen if you if you make a big enough case for it. Yeah, well, let's not get it carried away. No, no, let's not. Yeah, so Tam is here because he is a super telepath. He was born with telepathy. Uh, as, you know, he's he's a betazoid, and most betazoids, uh, like Superman, become develop their superpowers in adolescence. He was uh, born able to read minds, and I guess this usually means that people with this condition on beta Z are uh, crazy pants, typically speaking. He must have been a real fussy baby. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just think about all the things he would have heard in his mind as a baby. Imagine being born and and having the empathy code upon you. Yeah. You're feeling the birth in a pretty unique way, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, and so he's his specialty is getting the Federation in touch with. He's he's worked very hard his whole life to be somewhat normal, but he's very eccentric. He he doesn't fit in. Like Picard, definitely is like scowling right off the bat because he just doesn't dig this guy's vibe. But his specialty he's is, the best mind guy in the Federation. But he's a loose cannon. <laughs> no one wants to work with Tam Albron. That guy's a yeah. dick. <laughs> Tam, I'm going to need your shield and your peace. You've gone too far this time, and the mayor's breathing down my neck. Do you want me to solve crime, or do you want me to do it right? <laughs> I'm not going to go buy the book. Not for you. Not for anybody. There's minds out there that need to be read, and I'm the man to do the job. <laughs> Who's going to do it? 
You, Captain? I don't think so. <laughs> so wouldn't you know it, uh, Picard's a pretty by-the-book kind of guy. And isn't yeah. uh, doesn't have a whole lot of patience for Michael Rappaport's loose cannon behavior. Yeah, but, but they need him because he is an expert in getting the Federation in touch with species that don't necessarily make an easy group to interact with on a linguistic basis because he can go into their minds and he's been like the delegate to some world with a non-humanoid species that have a very different pace of life and uh, it's it's some it's some fun world building like just kind of offhand remarks about this guy's backstory like different stuff he's done he's like oh man like they must be in touch with species that are super weird and cool that they're at peace with so they don't like get brought up in episodes you know i have nothing to say about that i'm sorry ben that was <laughs> that was a comprehensive description of his backstory <laughs> and so and so what he's here for is they've discovered a ship slash creature in orbit of a star that is on the verge of collapse and it is a ship slash creature in a way that they're like this thing is alive it lives in space it's huge it's like the size of a starship but it has a mind and we want to do what the federation do and make first contact with it but this star is going to blow and if it blows it's taking the tin man out with it and uh to make matters just slightly more complicated the stars in Romulan territory. And what Tam neglects to mention right off the bat is that the Romulans are aware of this thing and are in, uh, you know, like moving very quickly to go be first to, to meeting it. Right. It's a, it's a race to meet the space pine cone. And, uh, and so the enterprise hits the gas heads out there. So as they're en route, we start finding out more and more about this Tam Elbron guy and, and what it's like to be him. He's, uh, yeah. he's complaining a bunch about being on the ship and, and hearing everyone's thoughts and feelings all at once, which mm-hmm. has got to be a real pain in the ass. To, uh, I mean, here's a guy who has said he loves being alone, he loves working solo on, on the missions that he takes, and now he's right. on this great big ship with thousands of people. So he naturally gravitates towards Data as a guy to hang out with because he's not a challenge in that way. There's nothing for him to read with Data. He's just a what-you-see-is-what-you-get kind of guy. Yeah, and and that's a, very, a great comfort to Tam, who, you know, we come to learn is because of his unique ability, kind of, kind of ironically, a terribly lonely character. Yeah. You know, he... He is swamped by other people's thoughts at, at all times, and and this kind of forces him into this eccentricity and loneliness. There's a there's a very interesting scene where like Picard and Doctor Crusher and Counselor Troy kind of talk about about this. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of character building with this guy, and like while they're building this his character, they'll kind of intercut between. His story of just trying to bide his time while they while they rush to get to this star, and the bridge, which is largely under the command of uh, Commander Data, uh, when they're like realizing that they have a Romulan on their tail, and the Romulans are doing something with their engine that is making their cloak not work quite as well as it normally would, so they're like just barely able to detect it that this uh, is happening but it it means that they're not going to beat the romulans like they thought they were it's sort of like that submarine analog of like when when something squeaks on the red october everyone can hear it so it's not totally invisible anymore the same thing goes for these cloaked ships right they need a ton of uh, a ton of energy to keep the cloak up to keep them perfectly invisible and if they're stressing any other system that cloak's not working perfectly and so they're they're just barely red on the sensors yeah that's a great that's a great analogy to one of my favorite films adam 
I try to include Red October references whenever I can, just for you, Ben. I really appreciate that. This has been a very therapeutic episode for me so far. (laughs) (laughs) One episode only. (laughs) (laughs) So we come to know more and more about Tin Man as well. It is thought to be a creature that may have been bred or may just naturally have occurred in some evolutionary way. Um, but it it's it's out there and it's uh, it's like the last of its kind. And Tam has actually been sort of in touch with it more than he initially let on. Like and he says it's not like he's been conscious and Troy is like completely baffled by this because they you know they've been light years away from it, which uh, I feel like the range of Betazoid mind reading has been kind of vaguely ill-defined, probably for good reason. Like it's, uh, it's yeah. something that you can kind of like make the plot make work for the plot rather than than uh, the other way around. Yeah, but it really blows Troy's mind when when Tam discloses that he evidently has a range of of empathic powers that is like light years. Light years upon light years. We're light years away. That's impossible even for you. Impossible for me. Maybe not impossible for Tin Man. Which yeah. is kind of crazy. Yeah. We get the idea that the Tin Man Tin Man is very old and very wise because whenever anyone talks about it, a Native American pan flute plays. <laughs> yeah. Which is the lazy man's way of of underscoring wisdom on an early nineties TV show, I guess. I, I was sort of wondering when I was watching it, like whether that music was as fucked out as it seems from our modern perspective at the time or whether that was like an early use of that kind of music like if it was already a cliche or if it only seems like a cliche in retrospect that's a great question i god i'm trying to think of anything to compare it to at the time like early 90s style i mean i can only tell you that uh that sensitivities then weren't what they are now and so i mean i doubt I doubt there was much of a of a needle to peg on this stuff. But yeah, I definitely picked up on it and it was a little uh little bit smirky. I didn't mind the music in this. I definitely noticed it, but I didn't hate it. They get to the star system and as they're getting there the Romulans come out of warp and essentially pull like a drive-by shooting on the enterprise (laughs) where they like nail it a bunch of times with disruptors before they really can do anything these are some of the biggest bangers we've seen like massive bangers big big bad bangers but the biggest bangers yet to come the romulans have have really like fucked the ship up and they've drained their their shields and that means they've got to like pull an all stop and give Jordy half an hour to like to patch everything up and uh like it's it's like one of those scenes where like they cut down to engineering and Jordy's like running around like a chicken with his head cut off and he's like I have 30 minutes of work to do down here before we can do anything and Picard's like you've got 10 and cut to like Data and Tam chilling in Data's quarters like they have all the time (laughs) in the world (laughs) If you need one guy to solve an engineering problem at the maximum amount of speed, it's Data. And he's like enjoying tea in his condo. Yeah. Not only uh, that, but did you think it was weird that the Enterprise didn't return fire? Like they they could have returned fire. They knew the ship was there the whole time. My thinking on that was that this was like at, at some point the Romulans say that this is their space. And I think that they must have known enough about like what the Romulans claim to own that they didn't yeah. want to start like a war over first contact with a weird alien spaceship just because you know like if if they started firing, they don't have any like good pretense of being there on a scientific mission, yeah, I mean, 
they know that they're kind of in the wrong, it sounds like. Yeah. But, you know, this is, like, not the neutral zone or anything. This is, like, I guess the Romulans' claim on this space is fairly dubious. So, but it's an interesting point. So Tam, at this point, has has said that this alien, the only reason this alien ship person is here, the Tin Man, Tin Man. Is, yeah. is to commit suicide, right? Like, it yeah, wants to hang out by this about-to-explode star so it can die in peace. It's like a whale washing itself up on a beach. Yeah, that's it. But it's been in touch with Tam, so it's like, it's definitely hedging a little bit on this whole suicide plan. And Tam's in the heads of all parties. Like, Tam knows what the what the Pinecone's thinking. He knows what the Romulans are thinking. Yeah. He gets with Picard right away, and he's like, look, those Romulans have tried to talk to the Space Pinecone, and it's not working, so they're going to try to blow it up. Right. And uh, and he like gets he he like runs up to the view screen and like puts his hands on his temples. I don't know if he actually puts his <laughs> hands on his temples, but I I feel like I remember it that way. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he he gets the the pine cone to uh, to like do a spin around, which emits a bunch of crazy light that totally destroyifies the Romulan ship, and. Uh, and it's like the it's like the blast wave that knocks uh, Captain Sulu's ship off its rocker in uh, the beginning of Undiscovered Country, where like yeah. by the time it gets out to the Enterprise, it like it's the it hits them pretty explosion. hard. Yeah, and it it fucks their shit up. Like like Picard goes flying across the bridge. It, oh yeah, might, this, this is this is a correction because this was the biggest banger I think we've ever seen on the show. I think so. They yeah, are this, I, I wrote down "big banger" in all caps in my notes. So. <laughs> yeah, it flings Picard against the wall. Yeah, he normally doesn't get that much distance. No. I am the cutest of all. Lock faces on that vessel. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. There's two Romulan ships in, at play here, and they know that the other one is like further behind. The one that had come was like had like pushed itself so hard that it was and like serious, uh, you know, it had like seriously fucked its engine up uh, getting there, and uh, and they know the others are not not far away, but they're still like like between the Romulan attack and this banger, the Enterprise is in pretty rough shape, and they're still fairly far away from the star, so they're. Uh, they've got some work to do before they can kind of get the show back on the road. Yeah, and it all comes down to Jordy's ability to do it. Yeah. This, I and mean, this 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 through line continues throughout the series. Like, is is the best place for Data really on the bridge at this moment? Steering the ship around? Doing sensor stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, he's definitely really good at ops, but he's just also really good at engineering. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he could take off a an arm, stick it over <laughs> in engineering, sort yeah. of divide his effort a little bit. Well, um, the other, like, rising tension at this point is that Tam really wants to go aboard Tin Man, and Picard is like, can we just talk to it screen to screen? Were you talking like, about... Tin Man. Tin Man. Tin Man. Just now? Sorry, what did I say? You said Tin Man. Uh, and oh, I, weren't sure, I wasn't sure who you were talking about. Total brain fart. My sincere apologies. I don't even know how you could get those two things confused. I know. But yeah, like Picard is very impressed with Tam's abilities. And I don't think anybody thinks that Tam uh, doesn't want to do the right thing. But they're pretty sure he's bonkers and so he doesn't he doesn't really trust tam's judgment enough to like put him on this away mission and it really takes a lot of mclaughlin grouping issue one to get picard to a place where he's willing to beam tam and data over to tin man and when they do it's like one of those like laparoscopic butthole proctology videos inside there it's you know it's it's like the inside it looks of a very living... flatulent yeah it's like uh you know when they're like looking for polyps and they show they show you know katie quirk's keister on tv or whatever 
It is exactly that. Anyone who's, <laughs> who has seen that footage, I think, will tell you that uh, that they basically stole that footage and yeah. used it for uh. this scientific purpose. The B story is that when you turn 40, you should go get the exam. We know you don't want to yeah. get it. It's not the most good fun idea. thing in the world. Yeah. They walk around and Tam is like able to kind of interact with this thing in a way that Data is not. At one point he puts his hand against the wall and it like sinks into it like like the wall is like a a plane that Tam can just reach into and Data tries to do the same thing and it's just a solid surface. It's making a bunch of noises too, like it's kind of burping and farting and Yeah. It's all gooey. And Tam can even kind of cause the ship to reconfigure itself. Like, he, he puts his hand against a surface and a chair, like, appears in the middle of, of the, you know, the equivalent of Tin Man's bridge. You're talking about the gooey Eames chair? Yeah. He makes a little gooey Eames. Yeah. It, it looked like maybe they made that model out of wax and then melted it and then played the footage in reverse. Uh, it, was, it, was, it definitely uh, looked like that. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, it, like, it looked like an attempt at practical. It was definitely better looking than what it would have looked like 10 years later with a similar show trying to make that look like something that happened with CG, you know? Yeah, like, it's sort of related to the Odo effect. Mm-hmm. Like, And it looks better here than the Odo effect looks totally. 10 years down the road. It's less glossy. It's... It's more, it's grosser to its benefit. Absolutely. Like it's like it should look sloppy, and and that actually helps with this with the world building. Yeah, and Tam is like a different man. The the second he gets aboard this thing, he's like way more at ease. He's initially like kind of overwhelmed because Tin Man is so excited to have him that it like starts downloading its memories into his head and he's like yo chill (laughs) but then it like they find like an equilibrium and he's like hey data like thank you for coming and experiencing this super cool thing with me i'm not going back to the federation with tin man i'm we're gonna go do our own thing um but uh i really appreciate you guys ubering me over here (laughs) five stars my love is a At this point, like, a supernova is imminent, and up until now, the Enterprise has not been able to communicate with either Tam or Data. So over on the Enterprise, shit is getting really stressful, while on the Pinecone, everything is really blissed out. Yeah, man. So the A and the B stories are in pretty tight conflict, emotionally. Yeah, and the second Romulan ship shows up, and they're like... Enterprise, your presence here is a violation of Romulan space. You will leave immediately. It's a very archetypical conversation between Picard and the Romulans, which is like, what? We were just here doing science. What are you talking about? You know, (laughs) wouldn't you like to science with us? Yeah. And the Romulans are like, what the fuck? No, (laughs) I do not want to do science with you. I do not want to be your lab partner. (laughs) Dissect your own fucking frog. <laughs> you aren't even in this class. They start to realize that the the supernova is imminent, and they're like not sure if they're going to be able to get out of there in time to avoid being destroyed by this star. And the Tin Man, Tin Man, does another pulse that has the effect of sending the Romulans and the and the Enterprise like, well outside of the blast radius of the star. And uh, and they, like, watch the star Nova out from a distance. And it's a real, like, shocking moment because they realize that Data was, like, still on the other ship. Data. You see the flash. You know yeah. you're so far away. You're too far away to do anything about it. Feels like he might be gone this time. He might have finally succeeded in committing suicide. I feel like they really sold this moment for me. I think that when I watched it as a kid, I I fully felt felt it because I didn't know like what next week's episode was going to hold. But 
I, it, it really worked for me on this, on this viewing as well. And uh, Data eventually kind of reappears on the bridge and um, tells them that Tam is going to be uh, going to be out of out of touch for a little while. I felt like the end of the episode indicated that we weren't sure if Tam and the alien died in the Nova. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, could you? I didn't take that from could it. Could you be but sure I, that I they didn't? It, yeah, I guess I guess you can't. Other than that Data appeared so far after the explosion, so, like, where was he? Like, if... Yeah. Like, how could, how could it have set a delay on a, his beam out like that? I guess the way that I read the character part of this was that uh, Tam was in so much stress and, and was seeking, like, the sort of peace that could only come by being by himself. This old hmm. alien... Pinecone was also seeking, you know, a way out together. Like they sort of felt the same way about their circumstances. Maybe sure. they decided to go out together or conversely, uh, they could have found in each other what they were unable to find by themselves. And then that's probably the more hopeful outcome in that uh, they, they continue on together much happier than they were apart. Yeah. Well, in data the- winds up, uh, at his bumming out window, which uh, he's ended an episode or two at before, uh, and he tells he tells Deanna Troy that his experience with Tam made him realize that you know Tam had searched his whole life for a place to call home and finally found it on Tin Man. Tin Man. And uh, Data really <laughs> felt felt like the Enterprise was his home, and uh, it's kind of a touching little sentimental moment at the end of the ep. Yeah. The Enterprise is his Tin Man. Tin Man. <laughs> Pretty cool. Did you like this episode, Adam? I liked some performances in it. I, th- I thought I liked Tam's performance, even though I, yeah, I, I painted I him really with the Michael too. Rappaport brush. I yeah. kind of meant that as a as a backhanded compliment because I really dig Michael Rappaport. Uh-huh. But like he he plays so unhinged in a really cool way, and he also like helps world build a little bit of the Betazoids, which up until now just seemed like really benign. Like, yeah, they're they're just like deep thinkers and and empaths, and and what could be the struggle for them? But knowing right. that that childhood could be as difficult as it was for him, I thought did a lot of heavy lifting in terms of what Betazoid life and culture might be like. So. I thought as a world builder, he did great work, but as an actor and as a character, I really enjoyed him. Totally. I totally agree. Uh, but, I love this episode. I'm saying that by, by saying I'm not sure I f- how I feel about the episode. I like the episode less than I like the performances, but you like it. You like the episode. I, I thought it was terrific. Yeah. It's one of my faves, and I, I can definitely see some problems with it, but they don't, they don't bother me that much. And I love, I love like the idea of Starfleet, like, you know, like, like this is a mission we're sending like our best man on, and it's like it's like, hey, we want to, we really want to meet this new species. <laughs> you know, like Star Starfleet's idea of a high priority situation is often like, there's some cool science we could do. <laughs> yeah, it feels like four out of five missions are Uber missions or or eliminating a plague somewhere. It's mm-hmm. nice to see a first contact mission. You know. It's, yeah. It feels like what Star Trek's about. Yeah, totally. Adam, I think we have some interesting information coming to us over subspace radio. We better get to it then. <laughs> yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. We only have one... Priority One message today, Adam. It's for Laura from her husband, Jeff. Jeff says, It's hard to believe that after a decade of being married, we still share the same love of things that brought us together. Things like stupid Star Trek night, holodeck fun time, and the perfect male form known as William T. Riker. Mm. You'll always be my number one to greatest Gen Con, Q Airhorn. My natural Jaeger. And most important, my drunk Shimoda. I love you. Wow, that's a sweet. 
That is really sweet. I love that Jeff gave us uh, production notes for this, yeah. like like cues for drops and stuff. Yeah. Did I say you'll always be my number one? It says you'll always be my plus one to Greatest Gen Con. Right. I, I, I like that we know that Jeff and Laura are going to be in attendance at Greatest Gen Con. So that's uh, that's exciting. There's Wait, two. At, at least no two people are coming in addition yeah. to us. Please, please <laughs> uh, buy some food and beverage. Uh, we are getting killed on the deposit. Laura and Jeff. <laughs> wow, that is a uh, very sweet. I wonder if that's like an anniversary message or just uh, or just a, a nice, nice message. They sound pretty close. Well, no, it says her husband Jeff. So, so they're they got to be already married, right? Yeah. You know what? They're they're going to be super comfortable in the in the full size bed in the one hotel room we're getting for Greatest Gen Con. <laughs> and so yeah. far, it sounds like they call dibs. They sound sweet enough that I will. Uh, I will sleep on the floor so that they can share the bed. I, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> like, they sound well, sweet and everything, but uh, come on, man. It's Greatest Gen Con. Yeah, I guess we are the stars of Greatest Gen Con. It's true. Now, come on. Jaeger's the star. Yeah. We're yeah. just hosting it. They Jaeger is getting above the title treatment for this one. Yeah. Biff Yeager presents Greatest Gen Con 2017. <laughs> well, if you'd like to send a Priority One message, very easy. You just go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You can uh, do a personal message for 100 bucks or a commercial message for 200 bucks. Every single one of these helps us keep the lights on around here, and we really appreciate the folks that step up and do them. So thank you. It's so easy to do, Ben. It seems like something that, that would happen when you get drunk, right? Two clicks away. Yeah. Gonna, oh, that'd be good. I'm going to drunk priority message this one in. <laughs> I think we'd get some pretty nonsensical ones coming. Yeah. I encourage that behavior. I think so. I think, uh, I, think I do, too. All right. Good stuff. Darmok, Angelad, and Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. 
But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! <laughs> See how I put the emphasis on, on the other word that time? You like that? You put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. I appreciated that. Uh, yep, my drunk Shimoda in this episode is data. And it's for a little moment. We talked about that kind of 10 minutes that he and Tam treat like they got plenty of time to go down to data's quarters and have a hang. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tam at one point goes and lifts up a, uh, a cloth that data has hanging over an easel. <laughs> data has totally painted a space butthole. <laughs> <laughs> and really just, I thought it was so funny. Oh, yeah, like Data's fantasizing about something he could die in. Oh, man. Yeah, that looked so familiar. Like, the uh, the nonverbal acting in that scene I thought was really fun, too. Yeah. Like, uh, Tam's like, uh, is this what I think it is? And Data, with his eyes, is like, oh, yeah, that's what you think it is. Put the curtain down. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty great. How about yourself? Occasionally, I will spotlight a moment of physical acting that gives me great pleasure. In this episode, <laughs> I found a great example. So, Tin Man has... I feel like I know uh, what you're going to say. ...has hit the button and frisbee golfed the Enterprise <laughs> far away from its position. And so, we get that cut scene to the interior of the ship where the bridge crew is, is sort of rumbling around. And we know what a banger looks like, Ben. You've seen yeah. bangers before. This bangers are when people get bangers are when people get get flung out of their station, flung into walls. We we see some in this episode, but this frisbee scene involves <laughs> involves Riker and Picard standing and spinning in place, like like counter directional to each other. Everyone else is sort of like shaking around, and they are they are like. Stand and spin, like like square dancing. It is so silly. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And what's amazing is like they cut to it, then they cut to exterior, and they cut back to it. I feel like if there's only one shot of the interior, you miss it, and you don't get it, and it's not funny. But yeah. to show it and then come back to it is like, oh, right in your face. So... <laughs> Very fun. Stuff. The idea that someone's giving them the direction to just no, you don't have to bang it. There's no banging here. Just just spin around. <laughs> there you go. That's it. No, no, spin, spin in different directions, guys. There it is. And cut. That was like that. Like it was hilarious to me. Yeah. So man. double Shimoda. <laughs> what do we have coming up on the next episode? Next episode is season three, episode 21, Hollow Pursuits. The crew struggles to help a young engineer whose obsession with a fantasy world on the holodeck is endangering the ship. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I do. I do. This this episode is is the realization of something we've been talking about for quite a while, mm -hmm. Ben, which is how much trouble can you get into on the holodeck? Evidently quite a bit. Quite a bit. Uh, well, uh, we don't have any way to get around watching it, so I suppose we shall watch it. 
Um, the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. If you're going through hell, Adam, keep going. <laughs> if you're going through this podcast, a great way to support it is by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Yeah. And joining a bunch of our viewers in, in their support of the production of this show. And uh, we could really use your support. Uh, proprietor of Maximum Fun, Jesse Thorne, recently referred all of Jordan Jesse Goes listeners who have problems with factual statements on their program to take them up with us. <laughs> so, uh, booy. Uh, I guess I guess we have that to deal with. Our our viewers are not shy about sharing the things that we miss on our own <laughs> yeah, show. So that's true. That could be a nightmare for us. Yeah. So uh, so any any anybody that's willing to uh, step up and financially support the production of this program is massively appreciated. Who else is appreciated? There's a thriving and chatty Twitterverse out there talking about our show using the hashtag GreatestGen. Yeah. They're also talking to us. Uh, I'm on there as at Cut for Time, and Ben is on there as at Benjamin R. That's A-H-R. Uh, you can also go on Reddit and Facebook. There are very busy communities there as well. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of crossover between the three, um, but all, all are fun places to go have a chat and talk about the episodes and also like see other stuff people are posting. Um, and it's a, just a really like sweet group of people that uh, I feel really touched to be involved with. So... Uh, feel very lucky there um we should thank dark materia for our theme music and adam ragusia for the music that plays during our special jumbotron messages with that we will be back at you next time with a another great episode of star trek the next generation and an episode of the greatest generation that will largely circle around masturbation jokes probably uh, that episode will be uh, cross-posted in r slash jerkin it <laughs> yeah. Uh if you want to, you can cross post this episode in R slash no fap. <laughs> oh, that's a Reddit joke I get. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.